Welcome to the Noble Mother Podcast. This is a podcast for people who want to heal, learn, and grow from powerful stories and experiences shared by sovereign mothers and women. Mothers and women who question when their sovereignty is in danger. Mothers and women who have faced deep grief and loss. Mothers and women who have walked the coals inside themselves to unprogram what they thought and who they could trust to really come home to themselves and their power. These mothers and women fiercely protect their spiritual energy and their family's health and well-being. On the Noble Mother podcast, we will share stories of birth, life, magic, and death. I hope you find healing in the wisdom shared. I'm your host, Victoria Nicholas, and these are the Noble Mothers and Noble Women and their stories. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Noble Mother Podcast. I'm your host, Victoria Nicholas, and this is, you know, for now, the conclusion of our tongue tie series. Oh, and I'm emotional. (laughs) (laughs) I'm from here. (laughs) Even introducing Ashley because, yeah, she's the perfect wise mother and mentor to complete the series on the podcast so i i'm gonna introduce you to ashley because she's an angel you heard about ashley in my other podcasts if you've listened to my free birth of finn and uh my tongue tie episode about noble so ashley pickett actually pickett is a lactation consultant on ibclc she's an infant sleep educator a parent coach doula baby wearing educator She's had the privilege of helping over 10,000 families reach their parenting goals. I feel that. Oh, I love you. <laughs> I love you. And what each of these families has taught her is that there's simply no right way to do it. And with three of her own children, she can attest to this. So, you know, whether you're here listening because you're excited you know, and nervous about upcoming birth experience or parenting, or you're finding you're exhausted or sore, you're up against a new transition where you need to change sleep or feeding practices, fumbling with a baby carrier, or you're feeling unsure about all the conflicting parenting information out there, Ashley is your person. She's literally a Dr. Google, your library and your cheerleader, and she'll help you find a really beautiful solution for you. And if you're looking for a like-minded community, she's also built that, which I will be putting in the show notes as well. Um, There's so many accolades and so much to Ashley, but I just want to say welcome. Thanks for having me. 
I'm actually so happy to be here. I, you know, I love you to death and uh, we've become friends, you know, um, working together and uh, both as professionals in the community, but um, obviously, you know, client relationship as well. And your story is, um, there's a few, right, that stick out for me in 15 plus plus years. And yours is one of them because you, you've had a you've had a tough go the first time around, especially. And uh I'm just so happy we've been able to work together. And I'm uh, yeah. No, I'm I'm just so grateful. Like it was like I, you know, I said in my tongue tie episode, I said my husband and I just decided to step back from everyone. And then a month later I said, Yeah. No. I'm going to regroup with a new team and you are the perfect fit. And you've been with our family through so many transitions, even while nursing Noble as a toddler, yeah. I've booked appointments with you, you know, at him yeah. being two and different milestones. So you're so amazing. You're so, <laughs> you're young, but you have these grown children and you've been through so much like young mothering. And I just really look up to you. I do have grown children. My eldest just turned into a grown up. He's 18. So we officially have a, a grown up in the house and it's, yeah. uh, whew, it's, it's neat. He's amazing. They're all amazing. And it's just, it's, it's fun to watch them grow. That's for sure. But I think back to that kid and his breastfeeding journey and like, he's kind of the reason I do this work. You know, I was, I was a really young mama. I think I was 22 when we got pregnant and just like, I was not even finished university. We were still, we weren't living together. <laughs> we're wow. still together. You know, uh, it's been 23 years and we have an 18 year old, but um, you know, what a ride. And uh, so, a lot of, a lot of challenges and not a lot of support. Yeah. So me, my personality is, well, build it right we don't have the support we need we're gonna we need to build it and we need to create it so um anyway I you've done that though I and I feel like that's it. a part of your ancestral line too you just like get down to business <laughs> um so was your first son tongue-tied yes but never released okay yeah so we didn't learn about that until quite late quite a bit later I mean he's he's 18 we um we did get support from, you know, the hospital when he did not latch. So I had a, a completely not latching baby. Um, he would, you know, latch for a brief moment, maybe three times in the first three, four weeks of life. Um, you know, we tried everything, nipple shields and lactation aids and, you know, milk supply supports and pumping. And I was, I was doing the triple feeding and yeah. And I, it, by about his, by about two months, he was exclusively breastfeeding. Um, so this period between like six weeks and eight weeks where he started latching. And then we, I was just like, okay, it's happening, you know? And I'm like, this is it. We're just going to make this work. <laughs> and uh, He nursed wow. for a couple of years. So, wow. So you figured that out and navigated that like as a maiden, really. Well, you well, turned mother, yeah. but very young. But young, and uh, we had support. We uh, live in the Toronto area, right? So we went to Newman Clinic. Okay. Um, lots of great latching support there. They really are the ones that helped me get him latched on. Um, didn't think it was a tongue tie at the time, 18 years ago. Posterior ties really, you know, Dr. Newman, like, no, they weren't being done. Um, not really. And okay. so didn't really know about it until a little bit later, but we did get him latching successfully. And, you know, he did nurse for a couple years. Um, I actually remember he nursed until 
my pregnant belly with my second child was so big that he looked up at one point and said, where do I sit? <laughs> where do I, he was like trying to figure out where do I go? There's this big belly and I can't reach you. And uh, he was just done. <laughs> it was, I think he was about 23 and a bit months, like just weeks before his sister came. Yeah. It was funny. Um, so... but we had challenges with all of them. Okay. So do you want to take me like from a professional standpoint, mm-hmm. I love that mothering piece, but can you just tell the audience from your sort of IBCLC hat yeah. what a tongue tie is? And I feel like though, and I also want to say, maybe you could weave in that not all tongue ties are the reasons why people have breastfeeding challenges too. Cause I feel like that's become a thing where like the only reason sometimes people are having challenges breastfeeding is because it's a tongue tie. So can you talk to us about those things? Yeah. I mean, professionally for like, I think the first thing that comes up for me is that like, I think that if it's a tongue tie, it probably is causing a problem, but I think that a lot, there, there are times where it's not a tongue tie and, um, you know, with lift latch support and potentially body work and, you know, habilitation exercises, you know, we get to where we need to be. And I think there are, you know, some people in the community might call those like faux ties, but it's not, it it just wasn't a tie, right? It was, it was musculature or um, fascia. And I think what's really tricky is being able to tell the difference. Yes. And people don't, yeah. I think that's the challenge, right? Like feeling tension isn't the same as feeling a tongue tie. It very well could be right. So I think, I think maybe that's what I see is, um, everything gets called a tongue tie. Um, flip side is, you know, I, I work with problems, right? As a lactation consultant, I don't often get people coming in who are having a great time breastfeeding or having, you know, um, a comfortable breastfeeding experience or an efficient, you know, latch and milk transfers. So the population of people I see quite often, it is a tongue tie. You know? um, I, 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 that would make sense to me. I, I remember working as a doula and probably attended a few hundred births and I, I charted, I charted all the time, um, took my numbers down, you know, and, and yeah. in, in just my birth clients, when I looked at my own charts and, you know, which babies had, what appeared to be a tongue tie, and how many of those babies had a release that led to breastfeeding success, the number was like 30, 40%. Um, it was high. It was not the 12 or 5% that some research shows. And there could be bias there. This isn't a research study. This is just me looking at my clients, Absolutely. you know, and, and that one pool of people. So there's like socioeconomic factors there with hiring a doula. And there's all, all kinds of things that obviously are not considered in that, but yeah. Um, just you came to me for birth support, not breastfeeding support. And 30% of, you know, it was like 34%. I should have looked up those numbers before we jumped on, but no, I, uh, just recalling it, it, it was somewhere around there. Yeah. You know, when I look at my lactation practice, it's more like probably 85%, maybe 90, right. And those numbers shift so much when people are coming to you with problems. Absolutely. And, and I, you know, the surprise at the rise in tongue tie confuses me. I mean, I don't think we'd ever walk into like a renal clinic in the hospital and be surprised that 90% of people have high blood pressure, right? We wouldn't like, we wouldn't in other parts of medicine be surprised by those common cofactors, but in lactation, we do get surprised by it. Um, Why is that? Do you think? Well, I, I do think there's a lot of people who have a lot to learn about tongue tie and that's a whole paradigm shift, right? To, to expect, yeah. I think all of our medical providers to be able to diagnose them, 
right? Absolutely. To be able to tell the difference. What does it feel like in a baby's mouth tension and an like oral restriction tongue tie? Like when you assess what I'm just curious, my own curious mom mind. I, I'm I'm pausing because I don't know that I have words for it. Like I have a Oh, it's a feeling. And I'm a very sensory person. So sometimes I don't have words that match my. Yeah. So my, it's an energetic um, feeling maybe too. Maybe. And, and certain movements, um, you know, appearance, um, like we can have a lot of tension, but how the floor of the mouth moves with that tension versus not like there's, there's a whole bunch of little things that, uh, that go into it. Um, I do rely on my colleagues, my body worker colleagues a lot. Um, there are lots of things about it that I don't know and I I don't claim to know. Right. So there are like obvious tongue ties. And then when they're less obvious, that's when I, you know, really want to guide a family into doing exercises, oral habilitation work, you know, getting that body work in there, um, and, and making sure, right. That, that those things aren't taking care of the problem. Like, so I, you know, I, and I'll be honest about that. Like sometimes I, it's, it's not me having that skill set in that moment. It's me knowing that I'm not sure and knowing that I have these beautiful colleagues that, um, that do their work. Right. And then we collaborate and we, and we, we look at it and we say, okay, you know, we got movement here with body work. And now that Freddie Lim is acting differently and the tongue is lifting differently and, and we reassess after that, Mm -hmm. um, so that that's a part of my process anyway. I mean, I can generally tell when it is or isn't, but I rely on that um, almost like ruling out, you know, less, yeah. less intensive things. And, you know, what I explained to my clients is that, um, well, the body work will either help us rule in or out how necessary, I guess you could say, um, a procedure would be. And then it also would help prepare the baby for procedure. It's something that I would want to happen, even if I'm like hundred percent, this is a tongue tie, right? I, we, we still want to prep baby really well. So um, that step is there anyway, yeah. right? Even if I'm sure, right, that this is, or maybe isn't actually a tongue tie, we still get to see different information come out after, after good body work. Um, and when I'm talking to clients about it, you know, trying to explain the difference, I'll say like, I don't have actually, a, I don't have a tongue tie. Um, I can show you, I don't have a frenulum. Like there's nothing there. Um, right. Really good range of motion. I, I've never had a release done. I just have, I just don't have really a frenulum and I don't, really have had people look at it for me, just, you know, just in case I'm self-examining incorrectly, just don't. So I, I always suggest like, you know, this is my voice. I speak without, without a tongue tie, but right. The moment I have my shoulders up to my ears, all of a sudden my voice is, <laughs> it sounds so silly, yeah. but all of a sudden my voice has changed dramatically. Right. And if my shoulders are up, I can't open my jaw and I can't move my tongue and I can't swallow. Um, right. So if we release a baby, without appropriate care, we're releasing them back into that tight environment where their tongue still can't work. And this like programming of the tongue after procedure and all these new habits that they're trying to form are going to be built on, on compensations anyway. Right. And yeah, absolutely. And so can you give like a definition of kind of how you, what is a tongue tie, what they're classifying as tongue tie or what that is essentially? Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll give you my, like what I yeah. do people and, uh, you know, I'm always like, 
a little hesitant to talk about definitions of things because ask 20 of us, you'll probably get 20. Yeah, right. Absolutely. So you're, yeah, your eye on it. The way I understand it and, and the way that I find it makes sense to parents when I explain it um, would be to suggest that, you know, the tongue should have good upward mobility. So I pay less attention to where that frenulum is under the tongue, like the type one, two, three, four is that sort of thing. And more about how high that, that tongue is lifting off the floor of the mouth, how well the tongue is lateralizing, how well they can mm. keep suction on your finger. When you pull the jaw down, does the tongue have to snap off with it? Mm. When I say snap off, like, like that click, right? Is, is the tongue leaving the breast with the jaw as they try to get a wide latch? Do they have to slip to a shallow latch to compensate for that mm. minimal movement? So there's all these little things that tell us about range of motion. Range of motion. And I I typically would suggest that if I can get about 20 or 30% lift to the back of the tongue, that that's, that's very tight. And that if I can get 40 or 50% lift to the back of the tongue, we tend to see it still sometimes be problematic, but less, less likely to be the, the bigger problems with breastfeeding, like not latching severe nipple pain you know, uh, completely can't transfer milk. I find that if I find a baby that has like, say 70, 80, 90% lift to the back of their tongue, when I say percentage, it's like if their jaw is open and it's lifting to the palate, mm. like a hundred percent, right? 50%, you know, how high can it get in the mouth? Yeah. The jaw is wide open. Um, you know, if it's 80, 90%, I would not think that that was tight, especially if they can lateralize and they can keep suction. Um, so sometimes we have a very obvious frenulum, which is just the piece of tissue under the tongue, yeah, but not a tongue tie. Got it. Right. So you can yeah. have a very, and I think that's why, you know, well, being in the tongue tie community yourself, we, pictures everywhere of, is this a lip tie? Is I this a know. tongue tie? And it's, it's, it's easy to say, yes, there's a frenulum there. And sometimes when it's obvious, we can say, yeah, that's probably a tongue tie. We can't diagnose anyway, as LC. It's not, we're not diagnosing, just suggesting whether it needs further, further assessment. But um, it's hard to tell because just watching a baby cry doesn't always tell me about how high that tongue could lift um, in that, in that moment. So it's, it's a tricky one, right? It's not just, you know, lifting the tongue and seeing something or not. That's it's, right. It's, it's range of range of motion and mechanics. And yeah. I feel like when I started out as a mother, I was trusted birth, you know, I caught, I catch my babies. And so I just naturally believed that breastfeeding would then follow. And so when yeah. it didn't, it was very confusing because right. it wasn't like there was forceps or vacuum or tension or even mm. sort of, you know, traumas like through, um, care per se, kind of up through my pregnancy. So it yeah. felt very strange that I didn't. And I felt silly, especially being a doula to be like, well, of right. course there's mechanics to the mouth, you know, but yeah. I just didn't click. It oh, just I feel click. that that's how it was with Owen. I, um, you know, I was, I, I wasn't able to birth outside of the hospital system. Um, I can't even have a midwife. I'm a type one diabetic. So, um, I, probably could have choose, chosen to birth out of the system, but I, I probably at 20, I probably didn't even know that was a thing yeah. at the time. Um, and I remember like, oh, like we're going to go have our home birth at the hospital. I remember going in, like we've been doing this for hundreds of thousands of years and, you know, I'm going to have my baby all on my own. I just need to be here in case blood sugar is an issue in case, you know, I 
crash in case, you know, baby comes out with, which, which he did come out with significantly low blood sugar. And I remember when breastfeeding didn't work, just thinking like, I did all the right things within, within the environment I could control, you know, I, I, I had the birth I wanted. I, you know, got through the labor the way I wanted. I had him skin to skin. And I remember looking into some of the protocols that are just standard now in hospitals, but 18 years ago, weren't. And, um, and doing those things and people thinking I was very strange. (laughs) I remember prenatally expressing colostrum and bringing it to the hospital and it being thrown out. Yeah. It being dumped because they couldn't, they couldn't verify how I stored it, if it was safe for the baby or not. And it got dumped in the like delivery room. No. I I did all the things and uh, kid couldn't latch just nothing. And I tried 12 times a day for two months straight, (laughs) like, you know, with the milk supply, with the pumping and yeah, I get it. It's like, why did my body not do the thing it's supposed to? And it did, it, it birthed, it should be able to feed. Yeah. And the yeah. feeding gets really, was a really, I guess it was to journey it and you as well to bring us to this place, you know, right. to really open this conversation up wider. Um, but yeah. Oh my gosh. And imagine your little one needing it with his, with his blood sugars as well and dumping that out that. And they, and I, you know, his, his very first feeding out the gate was a bottle of formula and, um, he just latched to that bottle and never <laughs> looked back at, well, I made him look back and then, Abs- that, but <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> but, um, and know, now he's a model. Yeah, he is. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> he's like six, five and a football player and like. Um, yes. <laughs> um, you know obviously everything he went through right the whole like he's fine but it's it's okay for us to have goals and to want to meet those goals and to expect that someone knows how to help us meet those goals right yeah it, it's it's okay to want that yeah so talk to me about okay well there's like so many things I want to ask you but one thing is let's talk about the phrenectomy procedure a okay. release um, and like, cause you were, you were there with the bodywork piece. So like, I know, you know, you even had something recently present where you went and saw a family you're headed for the phrenectomy, but there's been no body work. Like, me, what happened? No, it's yeah. I'm going to get us. I'm going to get us up to What does it say? Right. I, what, what is your, what does your mug say? I love my, what I love my, Oh, my Boston terrier. Oh Yeah. I don't know where he is right now. I've never even seen you post a picture of your Boston Terrier. I feel like I don't even. (laughs) No, someone else has food, so he won't come. Um... (laughs) I love it. Yeah. But uh, so the procedure. Oh, the family. That's right. Sorry. Let's get back on track. Well, yeah. Like, Um, and and so, yeah. I did see a family very recently. Actually, I was, I was, yeah, I saw them today and, um, and they have, I have permission. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because I knew I was coming to talk to you because it was just the the scenario that frustrates me the most. So a family who, you know, in hospital actually got amazing support. I shouldn't say actually, there are amazing people working in the hospitals. Um, but it's it can be hit or miss with knowledge base, right? With yeah. who knows what about about say tongue tie and and that sort of thing. And the um the LC and nurse at the hospital definitely, you know, thought there was a tongue tie high and they're booked in with a chiropractor for next Wednesday. They found themselves a dentist to do the release, but the release is today and the body works Wednesday. And this is a three and a half day old baby. Oh my. 
So, um, you know, my concern there is this kid's just out and needs to get used to this world and he's gaining weight. Mother has sore nipples, um, but he is transferring and he's gaining weight um, and she's in pain. But, uh, you know, when, when, you know, when we talked about it, she's like, well, it hurts, but it's not like I'm trying to run away from it. I, I you know, it's okay. If it was like this for a week, I'd be okay. And I never want a parent to suffer at all. But no. then we also don't want a baby to suffer because we've done things sort of out of order. And, um, you know, my preference would always be have that body work first. Um, I think their nervous system that, you know, going through the birth process and just getting used to the world, maybe they need a week, you know, just to, uh, just to get used to being on the outside. Um, like there's a lot going on and I, I do sometimes see, you know, if we in- induce that kind of stress, and like procedure and the aftercare and everything, you know, with a three day old baby, um, that can, that can heighten our stress responses. So that's something that I, I think a lot of us do, but I really, for me, I'm, I feel hyper aware of is, is baby stress levels and, you know, trying to do all of these things without causing, uh, harm really. They're important things, but then there are ways to do them gently. And there's, there's ways to, organize the timeline right so this particular baby because this kid he was tight you know you can see him latching like this and he's coming up and into the breast with his shoulders first instead of like shoulders relaxed chin first and you can just see he just can't yet get in to the position he needs to get into um he was a cesarean baby he they said he was stuck in the pelvic area and she said there was a lot of tugging and moving and and he has an incredible head preference um he he couldn't really suck on my finger well and when he tried to turn his head while he was sucking the one side he he would just lose suction the moment he got there and of course that's the side that um, he's not breastfeeding as well on right Mm -hmm. which which makes sense um so there's just a lot going on for this little guy and the worry is if we just go and poof release the frenulum which yeah and not a poof it's a cut well, it's not a, yeah, sorry. But what I mean is, you like, know, like it's, it's, you know, it's, 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 a, it's, cut. it's, it's a, a cut to the mouth. Yeah. Yes, it's it's creating a wound. Yes. Yeah. It's creating a wound. Um, yeah. It didn't, didn't mean poof to undermine the procedure itself. No, but I just and wanted to give attention. that. Yeah. Wound. No, but like going from like this tight, tight tongue, tight, tight baby, tight, tight shoulders. And if we just go poof and release the tongue itself, that's a lot of change for that baby's body to try to tolerate all in, you know, the next couple of days, because not only is he going to have to get used to the shifting that might happen throughout his body, just because of the release, he, he has to get used to latching in a different way. He has to, he's, he's fighting a bit of jaundice right now. We're really trying to make sure he gets enough to eat. He's been exclusively breastfed from, from moment one and, you know, making enough milk and interrupting this milk coming in process with a baby who maybe stops latching for a day at four. These things terrify. Absolutely. No, but it's fix it, but it can cause problems. So, you know, I think timing matters and I would love if when possible, right. To see us wait a week or two, mm-hmm. establish the latch position, even get the body work done, make sure the milk supply is coming in wonderfully. Right. And and that just always feels like a safer time. Yeah. To, to, are they going to cancel the procedure then? They're going to go for the assessment they're and the assessment. they're contemplating then waiting until after body work to go back for, they really want to know if the, 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 the dentist they think thinks- that 
Yeah. yeah. Which okay. is, and that's often I'm telling people you're going for an assessment. You're not going for a release, right? right. You're going for an assessment. That doctor or dentist is the one that gets to decide if they're comfortable releasing it. And if they are, they'll offer it. That's like right. And then right? you get to decide ultimately. And then you get to decide. And then you get to say, thanks you know, for the info. Stuff. We're going to go learn about this for a couple of days and come back, you know, as long as we're protecting the milk supply and, um, you know, maintaining some latching, usually a couple days is, is okay. Um, there are times though, um, Tori, where I think, you know, there are some babies who just can't latch or the nipples are bleeding and falling off within a day of life and may, I hate saying this out loud because I'm going to get, people aren't going to agree with me, but maybe it sometimes is an okay idea to do like a quick incomplete release in the hospital knowing as long as that family knows that it probably needs to be followed up. Followed with a up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That yeah. maybe there are some situations where releasing day one or two, just so this family can eat. Right. Yeah. Is okay. It gets yeah. us better. Yeah. And then we do the body work and then we do, I don't like that. I wouldn't want that, but sometimes in that extreme case, absolutely. there are some, yeah, absolutely. And, and that's why like, I don't think I have hard and fast rules ever. No. And I don't think you can in mothering or parenting or birth or pregnancy. There is you or, or feeding. Yeah. That's the, that's the vulnerability and the wisdom to all of this. But it's funny, you know, you'll get, I'll get families, you know, come in and we'll spend an hour and a half together. And the one change we made was like a tweak to their latching position. And they're like, oh my gosh, if I knew that's all it was, and I'm like, no, no, but the next person who comes in, the tweak is going to be entirely different. And that one little tweak is based on the hour of time we spent together learning about you and your baby, right? And, right? and where your body's comfortable and where that baby's body's comfortable. And if they are, you know, needing the body work, what are the compensations we're seeing, right? What little head turn do they need to get better vacuum for now? Like, so it's, it's tricky because what we're doing is just constantly assessing and trying to figure out what this baby needs. And that's why I say some of them might benefit from that really early release. As long as those, I wish the parents would be told, maybe you'll need it again. Um, But ideally, you know, ideally that procedure is holding off and the procedure itself, just to kind of just pop it up. Talk talk to me about the different methods that dentists use and also the dyads that you're seeing right now, like dentist, LC, body worker, dentist, LC. Like there's like a lot of different triad dyads mm-hmm. kind of out there and it feels controversial sometimes. I don't know if you want to step into that. Yeah. I mean, I think part of the controversy for me is socioeconomic. Like it's very hard to say, go and spend $2,000 in the next six weeks on this. So families are like, I don't have $200 for groceries. Never mind. Yeah, absolutely. Procedures and body work. So I, but I'm also in no way ever going to be a gatekeeper of information because I've decided someone else doesn't know how to spend their money. Um, I think that, you know, families get the ultimate say. And if I'm suggesting something that is out of their range, we can find something second best and we can work with that and we can, you know, we always can, but um, I think, that's a tricky spot because I I love right. I would want people to come and see me mm-hmm. so we can do a full assessment and then see our body workers. Um, when it comes to who, I have chiros, osteos, physios, um, cranial sacral therapists, um, all all kinds of different people on my referral list. For me, it's actually not about the credential. 
It's about that person and how they work with babies. Mm -hmm. So my list isn't huge who I'll refer to because I'm pretty picky, but I get to be, and we're in a pretty major city. So I get to be, you Mm -hmm. know, um, a little bit picky. Um, but I, I do find for families that, um, have a hard time getting out of the house or transportation issues that osteo is kind of the best option at least around here, most osteos are seeing babies once every few weeks. Mm -hmm. It's a longer appointment, but less often I find that it can be really hard. And I love my chiropractors and I don't say this in a negative way, but I find it really hard for families to get out of the house three times a week for a 10 minute appointment. Um, and to do that for many weeks on end, you have little ones, very stressful. And especially if there's like toddlers at home and, um, you know, so, so sometimes the decision on who to see has to do with what their benefits cover. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the decision is about what do you have access to transportation wise. Right. And, And other times it's just, what's the best fit for this particular baby. Right. If it's like, cranial nerves versus, you know, muscle tension. And so there's always decisions being made, right. Going in with, with who I might be recommending for a baby, but um, you know, if we can do the, the LC support and get that latch in place, and then we can do the body work and get the, you know, the musculature in place and then do the tongue tie release. So that new tongue is in an optimal environment when it's first, you know, starting to work itself out, I, I find that being that the best when it comes to dentist, doctor, laser, scissors, all this, yeah. I, uh, I'm a fence sitter. I, uh, I don't have a preference. Yeah, I really, okay. really don't. Um, I can't say that I have seen more or less reattachment, between scissors and laser. Mm-hmm. Um, but the providers that I get to refer to are really good with their scissors. So I think if you if you gave me two providers that I did not know, had no idea how they released babies, I would probably go with laser because I think it's easier to get a more complete release with laser. I think hmm. with scissors, we see a lot of hesitation mm-hmm. uh, or anterior releases where they'll just do a little two millimeter snip. And then the rest of the posterior part of the tongue is still tight and tied. And for breastfeeding, it's that posterior part of the tongue that needs a lot of lift for good milk transfers. So um, I think blind, I would go with someone who was using a laser. Um, but out of my pool of practitioners, I, I really don't see a difference I really don't. The only biggest, I think, difference I see would be, you know, the, the, um, right after the procedure, there's always a little bit of bleeding, mm-hmm. um, with, and it probably a little bit more with scissors, mm-hmm. right. Um, it doesn't cauterize that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so from a parent's perspective, sometimes not having to see more bleeding, if, if they're, you know, really uncomfortable with that, that, that could be a benefit. Um, but I, I know there's, providers around here who laser providers will say oh no it doesn't hurt at all and I'm like yeah it does it does it's still heat yeah it does yeah it does it, it hurts just to hold them it hurts to stretch their tongue just to do the procedure it hurt like so there's elements of pain unfortunately you know um involved mm-hmm. um I you know I've seen providers who use scissors who do multiple snips of different sort of fibers in the mouth. Um, they get a very complete release that way. And other providers who do a single snip and use pressure to open the space. And um, 
again, I, I can't say that I've personally seen a huge difference between the procedures as long as we end up with that complete diamond. Um, I One of the things that I wish... I'm being careful with my words. You can hear me. I'm being a little guarded. I don't mean to be, but I, I wish we could talk about more and I wish we could get like all of our providers of various backgrounds together to talk about more is the difference between an incomplete release and reattachment. Mm. I can't tell you how many times babies in my care have had an entirely complete release. And I have pictures of these tongues and then they go for a second opinion and the next provider says, well, no, that wasn't completely released. That's what it looks like when they only do an anterior. And I'm like, oh no, I can show you this beautiful complete release. That was reattachment. And I don't think they look that different, not to the point where it's, it's easy for everybody to tell what is, you know, regrowth and what is an incomplete procedure. And, and that's hard because you get a lot of people Right. Victory, I guess but, and, an, and an incomplete procedure or sorry, a reattachment, you could feel that through range of motion based on like if it was right or no, like if the procedure was 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 a full release and then, you know, you saw you felt and saw right. that range of motion and then that kind of and then it change, receded. Yeah, receded. That's, reattachment. that's reattachment. Yeah. So, and I, I think there's a lot of, um, I hear it often and, and it may be cause I'm hearing it from parents. So sometimes the way we're reporting things, is it exactly how they were said, right? We hear sometimes differently than what is actually right. Said. Yeah. 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 But, um, you know, a, lo a lot of people blaming other providers for doing incomplete procedures when they're actually doing complete procedures. We're just seeing reattachment. Yeah. And, and I think that might have happened with me with Noble. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I think Dr. Gambacorda, it was fairly complete. And I think maybe the aftercare, we just weren't as maybe comfortable and in there. So there was that kind of reattachment. Yeah. And I think there was just a little bit more back there that needed to. Needed to be done. Yeah. And so. And I, I think reattachment's probably more common than people like to suggest. Yeah. Um, yeah. And because, because you're sent home with your baby to complete that, that aftercare piece. Oh, it's awful. It's and you know, it's... and now the second time around with Finn, like Ryan's fingers, you know, they knew what they were doing. He was in there like a total pro, but the yeah. first baby with Noble, we really fumbled our way through that, you know? And of like, I was like, of course you oh, did like fingernails. I don't really want to cut them off. Like I did, of course, because I wanted to be in there, but ultimately like, yeah, it's it's tricky. It's a terrible thing that we have to ask families to do. It sucks. It is. It, is, it sucks. Yeah, it sucks, and it's it's you know, I, I, kids of mine have broken their arms, and then we have to put them through the physio exercises, and you watch them kind of cry and wince as they're like turning their arm with with a weight on the end, and like it's awful to make our kids. I that's the example that always comes up for me to make our kids do things that we know are painful because it's good for them. Like that is just a, oh yes. really, and, and it's hard with my six-year-old or 15-year-old um, when it's your new fresh baby, especially if it's your first baby, it, asking parents to have to go and do something they know is, is causing that baby harm. The baby doesn't know why we're doing it. 
So it's positive and it's good when I say causing them harm, meaning upset, right? Causing them to cry, elevating their nervous system, right? Um, Of course, of course, we're not doing it good. Well, good at doing it well. Like, uh, of course you're not. Yeah. Like the dentist, you know, they get, they swoop their fingers in there and lift or the LC. I mean, you're doing that, you know, constantly, but when it's a fresh wound and they're your new baby, it's, yeah. it's a tricky one. It's it a is. tricky one. It really, one. really is. But, and I, and I think, you know, if, if reattachment happens, it's okay. We, we, if we have to do it again, yeah. it's okay. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And just, yes. um, it's, it's not. And, and a lot of times parents are doing the exercises beautifully and it reattaches. I've seen parents not do any exercises, any exercises and we have, and it doesn't reattach. And it doesn't reattach. Right. right? So so and everyone's fascia and in between tension is is different. It's just like my very first dentist I went to, the mama I met, she's like, oh, they just did a quick clip and like the lipstick and the pain was gone. And that was not my experience. Right. That yeah. wasn't enough. So, you know, everyone's variance is Anuba, who I had on in this series. It was yeah. just a tweak of positioning. And she you know, is continually breastfeeding her little one who's who she thinks is likely tied. So there's so I just this is why I'm putting this out here, because it's like there's so many experiences. And it's just like birth and pregnancy, you have to tap into your instincts to determine where you want to go in this journey with it. Yeah, and I and I there is this whole idea of course of how tongue tie affects the lifespan yeah so, you so a, lot of, a lot of people talking about this sort of prophylactic side of tongue tie release and cranial shaping and you know high palate and and preventing the need for palate expanders down the road oh, and the airway. sleep piece the airway piece right, the sleep, right. Piece, sleep piece the you introduced che- me as a sleep educator really i'm a tongue tie identifier like it's, it's when we're working with sleep almost always, or very often there's an airway piece there. And when we can solve for that, babies do, they sleep, they want to sleep. They really do, you know? And um, so we're, we're just trying so to the airway piece, meaning their airway piece, meaning that it's, it's not compromised. What's the word you would use that sort of deters them? Well, from it's like getting... sleep disordered breathing. So we might have snoring. We might have apneas. We might have like a narrow airway. So babies are like, and it, it can all lead to things like lower oxygen. None of this is scary. I'm not saying lower oxygen air, uh, like, no. like no, 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 no. For people listening, I, I would hate for someone to hear this. Yeah. And, and oh my gosh, my baby snores. Are they are they unsafe at night? So I just no. I want to make right. sure that the words I'm using aren't scary. Yeah. Um, but it but it can be that you know if a baby's not oxygenating well, maybe they're waking up more frequently to suckle and do that. Maybe their nervous system's on high alert because of it. So when they wake up, they need more support getting back to sleep. May, like there's there's all these things, right? Maybe we're mouth breathing and we're not creating enough nitric oxide through our nose breathing, which directly impacts our nervous system and how we settle. Um, right. So the sleep piece comes in. We could do a whole thing just on that. <laughs> we, I should get you to come back yeah. and do that actually. But, that, um, if, yeah. Yeah. But I, you know, I think when it comes to, um, the procedure, the reattachment versus incomplete releases that we have to be careful what we talk about, Yeah, I think, especially when we're talking to families, because they're going to take what we say and run with it, whether we're right or wrong. <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, I, I think that, uh, really, everyone's just doing their best. I I do believe that breastfeeding helps with movement of the tongue in a way that is supportive of preventing reattachment. Yeah. Uh, 
I do believe I see more reattachment when babies are exclusively bottle, bottle fed, fed. Using lots and lots of pacifiers or because we, you know, we have something living in the mouth a lot more often between that palate and the tongue. Um, yeah. So, you know, those are things that I, I do believe I see in my practice. Um, but, but really, you know, I think parents are just with the, with the exercises doing the best they can, um, to try to prevent that wound from readhering, re right. It's not wound care. It's, it's more just, um, like, yeah, I, I always just talk about range of motion. We want to increase the range of motion, motion under the tongue as much as possible. And as new fascia grows and new tissue grows, we want that tissue to grow in a way that accommodates, you know, really wide movements. Um, yeah. And pacifiers don't do that necessarily. Well, you know, they're, they're going to cause the tongue to stay low in the mouth because there's something on top of the tongue between the tongue and the palate. So that sometimes, yeah, I probably right. Can lead to a little bit more a reattachment. And also if you have a baby who isn't sleeping well, is mouth breathing. Um, once we have a tongue tie release, we want to do everything we can to get that tongue to the roof of the mouth, mm -hmm. right? We want to, we want to prevent anything from living between the tongue and the palate, right. To, to give them that new muscle, that new range of motion. Um, and with some of the exercises that we do, you know, hoping that the muscle learns its new role. Right. Um, yeah. Oh, I know it's such a gift, you know, to be able to do a phrenectomy when there is a tie, you know, and it's sometimes I do feel like, and I talked about this with Anuba, you know, a bit of a privilege, especially the dentist we go to, you know, it's $400 for a lip and it's $500 for a tongue yeah. and it's, yeah. too, you know, like that's a really privileged place that I'm sitting in to yeah. even say that, like, you know, to go and do this. And, you know, I do it for the well-being and care of my babies as they grow as well, you know? Um, yeah. But mm. not so everyone, I know. And saying hi, <laughs> Ashley. You can see Ashley. You're looking at me. Hi, baby. Um, <laughs> Sorry. No. And well, so, you know, <sighs> you know, it's just, and you know, and then there are touches, like you said, like Dr. Seagal, who does ours, even the fact that she has these beautiful navy cloths. So after she does the phrenectomy, know. you know, she hands me the navy cloth. Like the other two providers I went to, it was, oh, it was like, you know, this white face yeah. cloth everywhere. Like just yeah. all the little touches. But again, yes. that's kind of the like Cadillac, you know, version. I it think, is. Of the it is the Cadillac version. You are going to get the, you know, a ton of education ahead of time. Yeah. You're going to get, you know, obviously a very skilled provider doing the release. You get follow-up support a day, yeah. a week, three weeks later. Yeah. You, know, you get, I think her personal, full, you get your personal cell phone. Pro like, absolutely. You get what you pay for in that, in that, in the experience side of it. And then on the flip side, like just to sh like sharing, like I I'm currently working in a tongue tie clinic um, and, you know, for don't know how where your audience is typically from but here in Ontario um you know it's OHIP covered where I work oh okay um, okay yeah and how do so, you feel about it so I'm at Kids Corner in Oakville and Dr. Hernandez is fantastic she does a beautiful procedure uh -huh. she does release multiple fibers it's always a nice complete release um and you know, I choose to work there one or two days a week because it's so important to me to be able to provide you know, I'm I, I, I'm bad at talking about myself, but skilled care. Like yeah, absolutely. Oh my <laughs> gosh. You're getting, you're literally getting the care. cream of the crop. Um, <laughs> in, a, in an accessible way. Right? Yes. So my private clients, I'm referring them to our dentists and, and out of pocket places. Like, you know, they can, they can afford it. They can handle it. But 
I feel so much better in the last few years being able to say, or you can come see us at Kids Corner, grab a referral. It's free. You're going to get follow-ups. So right. And we can do the, the, the pre-care, the aftercare and doctor, the doctor that I'm working with, she will often say, nope, we're not doing a release today. Yep. Tongue tie. We need the body work. We're going to do these exercises first. going to have you come back in a couple weeks. And so not too many of our peds in this area anyway, are so on board with, with saying no to the release when they first see it and, and saying, I think it's more appropriate for us to try these other things first Beautiful. and then come back. But um, she's so open to it and knowledgeable about it. So I find it, it, it's a great team. And I, I feel, I feel privileged to be able to work there, you know, and to be able to offer that because God, there's just, you know, sometimes when you say to a family, yeah, here are the costs that are involved in the next two months of your life, the body work, the dental, they're probably still using for a lot of families are, are not yet transitioned Transit. to because mm-hmm. of the challenges, the, with the pump, the pump, pump parts, pump. milk bags, herbs, gas, you know, the herbs, herbs that we're probably talking about that. Like there's, it, I, it was wild. I know. I think Ryan yeah. and I, we, we with noble, we estimated we had spent around $7,000 by the time it was said and done. I am yeah. shocked, but not shocked to hear that. Yeah. You know, like, because at the point, and then when I saw you too, you were still, um, it was, there was a fee too, where I had saw you at that clinic until, you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to actually in the show notes, put um, the Ontario breastfeeding clinic where you are now. And I will put kids corner as well, because it is so, and also kids corner can older, um, like, you know, three and four year olds, they can't access this. Oh, that's so So frustrating. I think one of the biggest challenges with, um, What I find with like pediatricians doing releases, um, a lot of pediatricians have like a three month cutoff. Okay. They're not comfortable going, going above the three month mark. Yeah. Performing the phrenectomy. If we've seen someone at two months and we're like, eh, let's try the, you know, we want the body work, especially an older baby. You want that work first. And they're going to come back at three and a half months after they've completed it. It'll, it'll probably happen, but, um, yeah, three months is the, is the typical cutoff. And, and that's hard because, as a lactation consultant, if a family is really adamant that they don't want to release on, that's okay, of course. But I'm always then trying to just give them some anticipatory guidance around if we see this or this or this, please just come back and we'll reassess. You know, and a lot of a lot of it has to do with the late onset slow flow or LSF. It's just that idea that you know we can have this great milk supply for a few months, but once our hormones regulate, if the oral mechanics aren't doing their job, we're going to see that supply drop. We're going to see babies start to feed more often. We're going to see them frequently harder to put to sleep. We're going to see new nipple pain return as they start nibbling more and pulling and tugging at the breast. You know, we're going to see breast refusal. And if we don't catch all of that, we're going to start to see a decline for a lot of these babies. And my biggest challenge is to say, yep, come see me covered by the government. Okay. You're not sure. No problem. If you see these things happen, come back for assessment. But if they come back at four months or five months, then we have to send them off to a dentist for the actual procedure. And, and, and all those out-of-pocket costs are still there. So, um, it, it is, yeah, it is, wow. I, it is really tricky. You know, it's the, it's the first do no harm. It's uh medicine, which is obviously very important. Um, but doing a procedure prophylactically doesn't fit that right. Fit that model. Yeah, absolutely. Not, not, you know, when it, not, in the, not, not in the way they, they see it. So um, that's a hard one for me. 
Yeah. Knowing that this kid's probably going to need it. You're probably going to see your supply drop and, you know, you're probably going to, you know, require that kind of intervention. Um, knowing that if we wait till four months now, we'll we be able to get this covered. Supply. Well, not going to get it yeah. covered and we have to build back the milk supply and, you know, we're, we're creating work almost. I but, know. Yeah. And so I wish I had a good solution for that because it's no, often- there's not. There's not, it's, no, there's not like, it's I mean, not my you, job to convince a family, no, to do something. I don't, I, and even if it was, I would not want to do that. That's not, I don't feel is my job, um, just to present the information, but then knowing that this one's really, this really, one's obvious, really, really obvious and it needs you know? it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a tricky spot for us because I can't diagnose, right. That's not my role either. I can just say, oh, I want to see this much lift, but I'm only seeing this much lift. Earlier when I talked about percentages, it's not an official way to look at tongue tie. It's it's language I've come up with that helps families understand what we're hoping to see versus what we are seeing. Yeah, right. Very just concrete, you know, 80%, but this kid's only getting 20% lift. Like that's something I think tangible that even if you don't know about the mouth, you can- You, you can, can kind that, of gauge right? that in your mind. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Anyway. Well, it's so, I mean, it's an interesting world out there. You know, there's a lot going around, you know, around ties, especially if you're in your breastfeeding journey. And so I just like wanted to provide, like you are so skilled and I feel so grateful for you to spend this time and come on and do this in your own free time. I, I wondered like, Oh, actually I want, I want you to see, I want you to talk about if there's one sort of more piece that you feel like maybe we didn't touch on. And also I wanted you to maybe touch on gut health and the correlation to these oral restrictions that were, you know, that we're seeing and ancestrally, like, were they as present or like, you know, is that wise tale of the midwife with the long fingernail (laughs) that would just come and like, you know, yeah release that frenum I don't know you know what I'm saying I I imagine they've always been a thing Mm -hmm. I you know part of me wonders if this is gonna sound wrong so please hear it the way it's meant but we were probably a hell of a lot tougher 10,000 years ago I I was tell me about that I was outside 24 hours a day I was you know, walking all the time. I was in the sun and the heat. I was on my knees gardening. I was wearing babies as I did everything. I would like, imagine how much no running water or plumbing tougher (laughs) we were as humans. And I was like, you know, I wonder if things are more noticeable now because of a comfort like you know our our need for comfort and I love my need for comfort yeah this right I'm saying I no, like no, no. conditioning and this is I just like where we're comfort. at <laughs> right but but some pain is gonna feel much more intense if that's the only pain in my life versus mm. it being a small pain compared to you know backache and other things like I I just wonder. So you think the functionality, like, you know, even that range of motion, they could kind of, the even babies were comp, not compensating, but working through that. Or there was maybe multiple children nursing, nursing back nursing. then. So yeah. absolutely. And, and yeah. I, this is of course, just like a me thinking out loud thing, but I, I did nurse my, my second and third child tandem. Um, and so Owen weaned at 23 months and then Shay was born like two weeks later. And then I nursed 
Shay. And when Shay was three months old, I was pregnant with Kai. So we nursed both babies. So, so when Shay was 12 months old, um, her sibling was born and Kai also breastfed. Um, they nursed together for many, many, many years. And uh, I think Shay was hitting kindergarten and Kai was, you know, uh, probably four-ish. And um, when Shay weaned, within three weeks, Kai was like, mom, there's no more milk. What happened? I can't get any more milk. Like, could tell me this because she was four. And uh, she was just like, I, I, they, they just kept saying, I can't get more milk. Where, where'd it go? And because Shay weaned, Kai had a tongue tie. Mm. Shay weaned. And all of a sudden, Kai could no longer drive the milk supply. Mm-hmm. And okay. I believe that her older sister was nursing, carrying the milk supply, milk supply all, all of those years. Yeah. And and when she, you know, decided she was done, Kai just couldn't do it. Yeah. I, I always think back, like, God, what if they weren't both nursing? What would that have looked like? Right. That, she, she, that kid exclusively breastfed for nine months. She wouldn't even touch solids. She, they, they just did so well. Um, but probably on the back of their sister, you know? And, right. Uh, <laughs> I always think like that worked. And like, that's it, what I think happened back right? then. Right? When, when, when you consider what working means, I think that worked. And most of us would have had a three-year-old nursing and a new baby. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know? Yeah. So I there know. Are, I think there were a lot of different environmental factors that that maybe didn't mean so many babies couldn't breastfeed, even though there were tongue ties. That's, I wonder, I have no evidence for this. No, no, uh, I love it though. But I, but I wonder, and um and I, I think that wet nursing, of course, was very common. It was common until 50 years ago. Like, you know, I know in our our family or Italian background, I've heard stories like, oh, yeah, of, of someone just saying, can you go nurse the baby for me? Because I'm still cooking this thing. Like, it, we just share it. It was just a shared experience, you know, where mm. kids, kids could get milk from many people. Um, but I, I do think that there's probably an increase. I think that... Um, you know, our epigenetics, our, you know, lack of breastfeeding for a good chunk of time in the last hundred years, um, right, where formula came in and a lot of babies weren't breastfeeding, um, whether we lost the skill set or there was actually an, you know, an epigenetic change in that time period. Um, it feels like there's more, mm. you know, it feels like there's more. And I think as a practitioner, we swing I don't know if anyone's ever talked about this with you before, but I can tell you, and I know that colleagues have experienced this. We swing between, oh my God, am I dying? Am I looking at too many tongue ties here? Am I overdoing it? And then we'll be like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to not think everything's a tongue tie. And you swing back and you go, no, no, actually those were actually tongue ties. And you swing back to everything. Mm-hmm. Tongue tie. It's, it's, it's hard for us. Absolutely. It would be, you, know, you, you start to think, oh my gosh, did I just see five in a row? Could there really have been five in a row? Maybe I'm. But like you said, bias. of course it would be because the people seeking you out are the ones that yeah. have the challenges, which that's where it would present. Yeah. But, but it doesn't mean that I'm always confident about it. Right. right. No, for sure. It doesn't. It, and, and so we, you know, you go through these funny things where it's like, well, then that last family who, that was an obvious tongue tie breastfed for three years, kid speaks fine. They slept beautifully. They like, where's the problem, you know? And it's like, mm, how many of these, if we left them alone would be that kid versus the kid who can't sleep, can't eat, can't swallow gags on everything, all that kind of stuff. And, and I think because Mom, we it's after eating, you know, right. Chokes. That, I, I always feel much more comfortable when 
there are in the moment breastfeeding problems we're trying to solve. Like mm-hmm. here's evidence, right, of a problem. And if it didn't get resolved with an increased milk supply and it didn't get resolved with better latching and it didn't get resolved with body work, that to me is even a buildup of more evidence that it's likely this tongue tie, mm-hmm. right? And and I think from a family's perspective, they like to see a change. You know, no family wants to go through a procedure and afterwards be like, nothing's different, right? Because that does happen sometimes. And um, that's right on our consent form. It should be on every single consent form. This might not do anything. There is a likelihood that we'll do the release and you see zero changes, probably preventing something in the future, but we could never say that was going to happen. So we can't say it is. And I think that unknown um, needs to be talked about more. I think as parents, we deserve to make an informed choice knowing that it could do nothing. I don't think we would do them so often if it often did nothing, but you know, every once in a while, there's a family that's like, yeah, nope, my nipple pain is the same. Baby still can't transfer milk. Um, and they may not have the resources to do the second, third, fourth, and fifth steps that would kind of close the loop, like all of the body work and the exercise, right? Um, Potentially so I, I, a new provider, things like that's that. That's right. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, you mentioned the, the gut health stuff. Um, that's something that I definitely need to learn more about. Um, if I'm being honest, I like, I obviously we, we see babies who have a harder time with things like reflux and spitting up. We'll see, you know, much, much gassier babies um, when there's tongue tie, a lot of it related to aerophasia, like, uh, you know, taking in air as they eat um, when it comes to the microbiome and the the gut itself. Um, there, there are all kinds of really, really wonderful theories out there, you know, with oversupply happening as a response to tongue tie, um, you know, inflammation, um, in the body triggering oversupply in the parent. And, um, I, I can't say, and I'll be very honest that I a hundred percent understand the mechanism that makes that happen. Right. Um, I don't, um, not that I haven't tried to learn about it or listen to it. It just, um, I, I can't put it together very well. Yeah. Okay. Um, idea that, you know, a tongue tied baby is going to create or contribute to an oversupply in the parent. But I, I, I do definitely, definitely see that when a parent has an excellent milk supply a tongue-tied baby gets on better right if they don't have to do the work of transferring milk well and that milk is just you know coming out and let down after let down that baby can still do quite well for a few months right until that regulation happens happens um you know i i there seems to be a correlation between tongue ties and birth practices tongue ties and intrauterine growth you know, higher prevalence in premature babies, for example, um, and and generally, right, a premature baby or a baby born via C-section has a different gut flora right. than, than others. So yeah, I just, I don't think I know enough, right, to put that connection there. Yeah. Um, but I, I do, just from a different angle, um, really feel aware of the struggle babies have to eat how that impacts their views and their habits and yeah. their natural defaults around yeah. eating. Right. right. If eating is stressful for you for six months, you're not going to have a good relationship with food. We, no. we, we, we know that, that babies who experience negative stress stimuli, even at a month old or two months old, so that those impacts do, you know, have, have to do with the wiring of their brain and, and how they, 
enter the world as an older baby child adult. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I can't imagine that a baby struggling to eat, especially the babies who are scared to eat, um, the ones who can't handle the letdown. Yes, right. right. Yeah. Right. So, you know, you have a tongue tie that's not coordinating, suck, swallow, breathe. And that milk is just waterboarding uh, at the uh, breast. Because the tongue's not controlling the flow uh, properly. Um, you know, a, a well-latched baby should be able to handle very fast flow. Right. Being overwhelmed and waterboarded. Right. So when they can't, especially if there's a tongue tie there, those kids are scared. <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. And rightfully so. Right. Of course. Yeah. And it's like, I have to do this thing to survive. But when I do this thing, it feels like it's going to close my airway or it feels like it's going to drown me. And right. that's just how you imagine that we're going to have a relationship with food that that might not be so positive. And I think being aware of that means that we can do things that help create, co-create a more positive relationship with food as, as that baby gets into it's solids and gets into other, other forms of eating. Um, but I think that's a, something that, you know, I, I would love to talk more about. Like, I, I think we have to just consider their perspective more. Yeah. And if a small procedure, like a tongue tie release in the grand scheme of things, it's a procedure and we don't want to do it if it's not necessary, but it's, but, it's, it's not but eating and feeding are really are important, very important parts <laughs> of being human. Right. So yeah. Yeah, I think you did. I don't think it's so big of a procedure of... that we we should shy away shy from. Way. If yeah. that if that child is showing us huge stress responses to eating, that might be fixed by it. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Um, flip side is if they're already stressed by feeding, and then we introduce a pain point, and then we mess around in that pain point for six weeks doing exercises, are we actually creating sometimes more of an aversion in babies? And so this is where I think that nuanced care is just so important that we can't yeah. say every single baby do these specific exercises for this amount of time, this many times a day. There are definitely families where I'm like, yeah, no, stop those. Stop, yeah. stop, get out of their mouth. Stop it. This kid is not, you know, need, needs a minute. Needs a minute. Right? absolutely or let's do them differently let's do a different version of them let's do and and that's where sometimes i'm coming up with stuff on the spot yeah to, i'm to sure deal with that because it's better than what's happening um yeah. yeah so i think i think that's one tricky part about tongue-tied care in general is i'm telling you what i've learned in my varied experience but i didn't go to a specific place to learn this information. This is what happens after 15 years of, years practice, of just, right? yeah. And this is and, why you're just bringing all this wisdom and I love you so much. And I'm so <laughs> grateful for it. I, um, I have to, as you would totally relate to, I have a toddler downstairs where now things yes, are, things are melting. So, and, and, and yes, too, it's time, uh, it is time. And I hate that, but no, I love okay. the amount of this wisdom that is in this. And I just love and respect you so much. And I'm so grateful that you've come on and shared all the things that you know and more. I'm going to put uh, Ashley's link in the show notes. If you feel called, you could obviously hire her like privately, or there are other ways to work with her through the Ontario Breastfeeding yeah. Clinic as well. And thank you for being on today. I love Thanks you so much. Me. And thank you nice for spending time with you. I could get <laughs> out of all the time. <laughs> thank you for dueling me through my third phrenectomy with Noble and yeah. helping us breastfeed and and for Finn too. I'm so grateful to you. But Finn's Finn was like your your uh easy one. <laughs> like when it comes to the breast. Yes. Yes, I, I mean, for the first little bit there, right? Like, I think yeah. we we're expecting all these possible all these things. And like, Finn was just, Ash, are you sure it's still working? Like, are, 
I know. Well, and I see- you were just on high alert, right? Because when high you alert. go you went through with the first, with with uh, Noble, Noble, why wouldn't you expect something similar? And when it doesn't go that way, it's like your brain is just searching for the. Problem. I know it is. And, I mean, we still that's... did do a phrenectomy for Finn, and I'm glad yes. we did. Yes, of course. Um, to, especially milk supply piece. I definitely don't want. I didn't want to go down the Dom Perry oh, yeah. route, route now and things like that. But also, I have a toddler still nursing off me too so and, and that's the thing how much of that was compensating and but you have both of those things you have the it really was needed and without it noble probably wouldn't have got to be breastfeeding the way he did and finn who probably would have coasted much like my kai um right because until- you know older sibling nursing and until you know noble one day decided not to and that's not you know we don't we don't want to bank on that no <laughs> so, I, yeah mm-hmm. but you're welcome it was I'm so, I'm just so pleasure. grateful so my grateful pleasure. to you. And thank you everyone for being here today. If you have any questions, um Ashley, can I put your email in the show notes? Or what is Yeah, are you like just my website's just ashleypickett.com yes. yeah. and contacting me through my website is probably the easiest. Okay, beautiful. And just check your junk. Cuz yes. sometimes, sometimes it goes to the junk, junk now. Okay. I say that it's right on the contact form, but, um, I do get back to people right away. So check your junk, but yeah, Thank feel free you. to reach out with questions or if you need support always. I love you so much. I'm so grateful to you and thank you everyone for being a part of this series. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you for ha- ha- hosting this series. People need it. Yeah. Thank very you. important work. Okay. Love you. Bye.